This podcast series is brought to you by Net Zero, a food upcycler providing technology to feed the world better food with less resources. Doing their part to reduce, recover, and reharvest food waste. You can find out more at netzro.us. And by the Upcycled Food Association, building a food system in which all food reaches its highest and best use. To learn more about becoming a member or to support the UFA by making a charitable donation, visit upcycledfood.org. Every time you see a carrot stick or a celery stick, imagine the amount of celery that isn't in that tray. And that's what we're capturing. Too good to waste. Too good to waste. Way too good to waste. Too good to waste. Absolutely. Hi, and welcome to the podcast series, Too Good to Waste. I'm your host, Kevin May, and together we're going on an adventure to explore some of the fun and creative and innovative ways that lots of people are doing their part to help find a higher value in unused food and food byproducts that might otherwise be wasted. So thanks for joining me. Let's go see if we can find out about some of these things that are too good to waste. So I'm going to try to paint a vision for you. How many of you have this memory of maybe going to your grandparents' house and having a nice meal and then looking over at the stove and seeing this gigantic pot sitting on the stove and what was in it were all the scraps from the meal prep from that day's meal kind of thrown into this pot with some seasonings and some water and it was just boiled and then created into this amazing, rich, flavorful stock that could then be used for all kinds of things for the next couple of weeks. Well, my guest today has actually actually built a really unique business around that very concept. Her name is Anna Hammond, and she is the founder and CEO of Matriarch Foods. Now, Matriarch Foods is a company that transforms this surplus food that's out there into healthy food service products that advance the health of our communities and our environment. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show today, Anna. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Great to be here. So give us just a little bit of an introduction first to Matriarch Foods, what it is you do. Yeah, so Matriarch Foods upcycles farm surplus and fresh cut remnants into healthy, low-sodium, delicious <laughs> products for food service. And by food service, we mean schools, hospitals, food banks, restaurants, places where people eat communally and need healthy, affordable food. So where did an idea like this come from? How, how do you get something like this started? Well, I, I worked in the nonprofit world for 25 years in arts organizations, you know, sort of upper level management, museum work. And then about, I guess it's 12 years ago now, I, I decided to change careers. I had been involved politically for a number of years, and I did some uh, speech writing for a local politician. Uh, and I got very interested in some legislation around farming in the county where I live, Rockland County. And so I ended up working on a piece of legislation with the head of the Rockland County Legislature and a number of farmers to return state land that used to be farmland to be uh, be able to be farmed and to create local access for food for, for the community. And through that, I sort of started to explore work in food and food education 
And by chance, I met someone who had just started a healthy eating program for youth called the Sylvia Center. And we met and she said, will you help me turn this program into something? So I thought I would be there for a couple of years doing some program design. And eight years later, <laughs> that program was, was very highly designed. We ended up focusing on teaching healthy eating to teens and families living in public housing, community centers in New York City, and also connected to a farm in upstate New York, uh, worked to integrate healthy eating and cooking education into the school system in Columbia County and all six school districts. So from that, I was exposed very intimately to the dearth of access of healthy food in poor communities in New York city and in rural areas of Columbia County and also, you know, had a lot of relationships with farmers upstate and and was very aware of the excess farm product that exists, you know, every season for all kinds of reasons. I mean, small to mid-scale farmers just just because they have to plant, you know, 20% more than they might need against weather and all kinds of, you know, the vagaries of growing and the market and with nowhere to sell that produce necessarily. And then gleaning organizations and food banks who were trying to collect it could only do a certain amount because they had limited freezer space or storage space and just started to really see this kind of connection between an excess of produce, but a dearth of ability to process it. And so I started to think about, you know, what would it be like if you could actually, you know, do canning at a large scale that wasn't Campbell's? So just putting these two things together was really the beginning of the idea to turn this excess food into healthy shelf-stable products for um, and healthy, shelf-stable, affordable products for people who needed and wanted healthier food. And sort of from that, you know, many things of, of discovery, but learned, learned a lot more over that period of sort of, of research and development about various waste streams in the food system, including, but not limited to, off-spec vegetables, small to mid-scale farms, large-scale farms, and then fresh cut facilities. So now our products are a combination of supply of large scale surplus of off spec and you know, almost um, just about to be too ripe to be used and fresh cut remnants. So it's really, you know, what we're really doing is sort of old fashioned canning, but at a large scale. And we, you know, we work with all different kinds of suppliers, including large fresh cut facilities to capture the tops and bottoms of carrots, celery, onion, you know, broken onion rings, things that they would have been throwing out, but that a normal chef or a home cook would turn into stock. So we're, you know, we're essentially upcycling at a very large scale food previously thought of as waste streams. So what's interesting about this and what what I'm fascinated with and when I first heard about you and your company, I why this is so fascinating to me is that you're catching some of this waste or potential waste in the food supply chain very early on. And I think there's so many different layers in the food supply chain from when food is grown until when it 
ends up in our refrigerator and ultimately on our plates. And at every step of that, we've discovered there's waste and how can we deal with it? But you're really starting at the very beginning. I also love that you really have identified from what you're describing two different problems. One is the problem of providing good, healthy, nutritious food to underserved communities. And then the other one is seeing all this food in the farm fields and in these fresh cut facilities that's not being utilized to its highest potential. And kind of just to summarize what I'm hearing is that you're looking at these and saying, well, how can we solve both of these problems together or at least address these problems together. There was a statement on your website that I absolutely love and I just wanted to read it because I think it's so appropriate to kind of tie this all together. It says, where others see waste, we see a complex but solvable logistical challenge, a chance to protect the environment, a way to better feed our communities. So where did that come from? Is that kind of your summary statement of what you just described? And does that kind of typify <laughs> what Matriarch Food stands for? Yeah, I mean, th that's me writing and not talking out loud. No, but I love it, though. <laughs> so, I mean, that's such yeah. a beautiful statement that really no, just it nails it. I mean, it just makes sense. You know, I think this it's this is, you know, obviously it is extremely complex what we're doing on a certain level. And it is also incredibly simple because we're getting the last mile out of vegetables that are already grown, already harvested, already transported in many cases, you know, in, into, you know, and aggregated, but for, you know, for reasons of, you know, size, um, don't make it to market. For example, you know, they don't, you know, the celery doesn't all fit into the right box, so it can't be shipped in the most efficient way. Or, and this is, you know, one of the sort of really interesting, you know, pieces, I think, of, of our supply chain, the parts of the vegetable that, you know, aren't necessarily deemed easily edible in the cafeteria, for example. I mean, every time you see a carrot stick or a celery stick, imagine the amount of celery that isn't in that tray and that's what we're capturing so you know the top third of the celery the bottom third of the celery maybe even more than that including the leaves you know the tips the long tips of the carrots the thick bottoms of the carrots and broken onion rings so you know every time you go into a deli and you see onion rings and you get them on your sandwich those onion rings are all full onion rings well a machine doesn't cut every part of the onion, you know, into a perfect onion ring. There's probably a third plus of that onion that, that gets thrown in the garbage. So we're capturing those, you know, so-called waste streams and just using them and making um, concentrated stock. How did you land on making a concentrated stock as a product when you see all of this food that's not being utilized? What got you the idea to say, okay, let's make this into a stock as opposed to something else? Well, you know, I think it's, you know, people say like, what it, that, that question gets asked me a lot, like, how did you come up with this idea? And you know, I think maybe what's a little bit different about our company is that, you know, we didn't think, oh, we have the greatest recipe for the best stock in the world or, you know, the most delicious popcorn or grain bar and we're going to make our favorite recipe. Really, it had much more to do with like surveying the landscape of what was available and seeing what 
we could make out of that. And that really harkens back to a kind of, you know, scrappiness of our grandmothers, which is, you know, one of the reasons we call this company matriarch is that, you know, whatever's in your kitchen, you make something out of. So when I started to see the quantity of vegetable remnants that were getting discarded, it just was like, oh, well, that's vegetable stock. So yes, you know, do we spend a lot of time getting it to the right flavor and adding different kinds of spices to see what kind of flavor profile would be the most usable for, you know, general food service? Yes. Um, but in terms of like discovering the recipe or coming up with the recipe, it was more of a kind of sort of like obvious what exists, what needs to be taken care of, what needs to be utilized and developing it from there. And the, you know, and and the on the product development that we're doing now for our, our next products is also coming out of that frame of mind. So, you know, we're working on a carrot puree base, soup base, and that's because you know in New York State there are a lot of surplus carrots. So, it's really about identifying the things that are getting thrown out and figuring out ways to use them that are delicious and, you know, that makes sense for the cooks. And how, how big a problem is this when you talk about vegetables? You're in, what, what area of the country are you in? You're in, are you in New York? I'm in New York, in New York state. Um, but nationally, I mean, it's, there's a, there's an organization I'm sure you know about refed that's done a lot of data analysis on, on food waste. And they have, analyzed that 20 to 30 million tons of vegetables never even leave the farm gate. Right. That's what I was curious about. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a number. And then we're working with, and there's not, you know, there's not final data um, on this, but we're working with fresh cut facilities and, and most large urban areas in the United States have a fresh cut facility somewhere, you know, within within the region. So we work with two, uh, one uh, in, in the mid-Atlantic um, and one in New York. And both of those facilities produce anywhere from 150,000 to 300,000 pounds of fruit and vegetable remnants every week. Wow, that's staggering. Then those are just the remnants. That's that's what they're not using, right? That's just what they're not using. Wow. So if you multiply in the categories that we're currently working with, you know, which is carrots, celery, and onions, you know, it's about 15,000 pounds, 15 to 20,000 pounds a week of, of remnants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, multiply that across the country, it's about 2 million, two, you know, about two, two to 3 million pounds a year, just of, in those categories of remnants. And that's just in fresh cut facilities. But we recently um, took on a, a new supplier. And this is just, I, I find this fascinating. It's a, it's a well-known burger chain. And they have one facility in the United States that cuts only onions for their burger chain. Wow. And they produce every week 15,000 pounds of broken onion rings that previous to working with us, they were throwing in the garbage. Oh my gosh. So now, you know, now that that is being upcycled and it is, you know, it's, they're peeled onions, they're great quality, they're, you know, flavors per, you know, there's not nothing wrong with those onions. 
Um, so in, you know, in one year, it, you know, once, once we're, once we're producing, you know, at an even larger scale, we will be capturing, you know, over a million pounds of broken onion rings. And that's just from one burger chain. So if you imagine, you know, sort of in every one of these categories, capturing those remnants in a year, you're diverting millions and millions of pounds of vegetable remnants from landfill. And that's just in the categories that we're currently working in. So we aspire to divert a lot. Um, and that's why we chose, you know, that's why we also chose to work, um, work in food service as opposed to, you know, launching retail products. I mean, there's some amazing companies doing really incredible work um, in that area. Um, but we really felt that we could make the largest environmental impact and also the largest, and this is very important um, as for, you know, as value for our company, um, largest health impact by focusing on food service, you know, schools, hospitals, food banks, and, you know, places where, you know, 3,000, you know, a, day, a daily output is, you know, is three to 6,000 meals. And that, you know, that was the best way to, you know, make as big of an impact as we could, you know, both from, you know, both from an environmental um, perspective and, and a community perspective. And as you've said, too, from a health perspective, because in schools, they're getting a lot of attention right now in terms of the quality of the food that is being served at schools and, you know, the concern about that going backwards. And yeah. so I think being able to provide a high quality product into the schools is also really serving that need of providing good, healthy, nutritious food to the children and, you know, to people in underserved communities. So that's great. I love that you're doing that. When you talk about numbers in that large a quantity, it is overwhelming. And I commend you for jumping in or diving in to this industry. What is it like to start a business like this? I mean, it's obviously you're driven by a lot of passion because <laughs> it's a, it's a problem and you want to solve it. And I love that spirit about you, but what does it take to actually make something like this into a business? Gosh, you know, I mean, a little bit of crazy, I guess, um, on some level. And, and also, you know, I, I think I'm, uh, you know, this is a little bit unusual business is, is this is the first, this is my first business, um, which I started, uh, when I turned 55, um, and sort of, there's a funny aside story, whether you include it in the interview or not, but, but I was in the dentist's office, you know, when I first decided to like leave my other job and start this business. And, you know, my mom was kind of like, what are you doing? I mean, shouldn't you be, you know, shouldn't you be getting like a high paying job and, and, you know, taking care of your retirement for the future. And, um, you know, but I never really thought about things that way. And I was in the dentist's office and, you know, picked up, of course, because it just happened to be their entrepreneur magazine. And and, uh, nice. and there was this yep. little article about, about when people, you know, it was sort of a, it was a statistics about when people start their first business and something like, you know, 40% of, of business people started their first business between 16 and 18, you know, and then another 20%, you know, between, whatever, when they graduate from college until they're 30. Anyway, going up and going up, 1% of new businesses are started by people, first-time businesses are started by people over 50. And I called my mom and I was like, I'm part of the 1%. There you go. <laughs> I love it. 
but you know the advantage i mean the ba- advantage of being an you know an older first time you know business person is that you know you have tons of experience you've got you know right. and and your team tends to, you know my team is a team of people i've worked with in other jobs so you know between us our working our working relationship you know, it's accumulative. I mean, we were talking about sort of between experience and our working relationship, we've got like a, over a hundred years, you know, a hundred years cumulative uh, experience and, right. you know, and our networks are really deep and we know how to, you know, make budgets work and do marketing, you know, and even if something is really scrappy, we know how to do it. You know, we just haven't experienced the same kinds of losses, I think, that often, you know, first time business people do experience. It's like they have this big idea, but they try out a million, you know, a million different things to make it work. You know, this was a very, very clear and clearly thought out idea from the beginning. You know, it really hasn't changed that much. Um, You know, my first idea was that we were going to be, you know, creating a retail product for bodegas. You know, I had this thought that, that we would, you know, know, create sort of a line of products that would be completely inexpensive, very healthy, affordable and appealing um, that could be sold in, you know, in small uh, grocery stores across the country so that people who, you know, don't have access to a grocery store or whatever could, you know, could get these products really quickly and easily. And I hope, you know, I hope that this will still grow to encompass that. Um, so the biggest, I think the biggest shift really was just thinking about food service versus, you know, versus retail at that level. But aside from mm-hmm. that, you know, really, you know, it's just been, um, Oh, you know, I mean, yes, a lot, you know, a lot of work. And there were many days where I was like, I'd lie on my bed in the middle of the day and just think, what am I doing? Like, I, you know, this is crazy. Like what I'm trying to capture, like millions of pounds of vegetable scraps all over this country to make what? But um, I have to say, you know, there is this enormous part of our food system um there's a, there is infrastructure in this country around food you know there's transportation there is processing though there's not enough processing there is storage but rethinking how that gets used mm-hmm. is a path toward a better food system it's not all about sort of completely turning over everything and starting from scratch And so, you know, looking at the assets that exist already and rethinking how they can be put together is part of, you know, is part of what we've been doing in this business. Um, And we've also just, you know, we've met incredible people. I think that, you know, the, the farm to table movement is started to become part of the larger consciousness about food in general and about all people's rights to healthy food. And so, you know, and, and I worked in that nonprofit aspect of of that, you know, before starting this business for, for eight years. And so, you know, food access is something that's on a lot of people's minds and the environment is on a lot of people's minds in a way that it wasn't 10 years ago. Neither of those things were really on as much in sort of the general consciousness as they are now. And because of that, we are able to have conversations with people who, you know, 10 years ago or even maybe five years ago wouldn't have thought, 
oh, it would be a really good idea if we weren't sending our vegetable scraps to landfill. Or, oh, it would be a really good idea if we could use, you know, use this surplus to help this business or, you know, basically also like recoup some of our losses, you know, have another income stream for our own business to develop products that are affordable for more people. So I think that the timing, obviously, of what we're doing is very good. Our backgrounds um, in business and in the nonprofit world really help us understand deeply, you know, how, what it means to run a business and also what the actual needs of the operators and the consumers who we're trying to serve are. And so, you know, we've just really kept our vision extremely straight on the road to, you know, these two value propositions that, that we have. So, you know, you were asking like, what's it like to start a business? It's crazy. And there's days when I'm just pulling my hair, you know, was, I mean, this is more sort of, I would say in like the first 14 months of the business, like, you know, is this going to work? Are we going to get this thing produced? You know, will the co-packer be able to adapt to this sort of unusual ingredients that we're working with? But I mean, in absolutely every case, we have just met with the most incredible people who love the idea of what we're doing. Also, you know, Everyone wants their kids to have healthy food, their parents to have healthy food, their elders, you know, who may be, you know, in nursing homes or in hospitals or, you know, their young kids in, in public school to have healthy food. Like there's no one who doesn't want healthy food. So, so you know, no matter who we're working with, if we're talking about that or we're talking about a healthier environment, you know, every, you know, it's like we're not encountering anyone saying, oh, that's a terrible idea. So, you know, we've just been able to work with people who, you know, have, have not only been willing, willing to work with us, but, but have brought their own expertise to the table in ways that, you know, as I say before in the past might've been, you know, a little bit more of a struggle. Yeah. One of the, you, you touch on so many different concepts. One of the things that I wanted to reiterate, which I, I'm hearing in what you're saying is the environment, food, waste, food, justice, all of these things that in the past, I think certain people have been on certain bandwagons, but now they're all coming together is kind of the way I see it, where you don't have to do just one thing. You can eat healthy food, which is accomplishing reducing food waste, which is accomplishing uh, saving the environment or helping the environment, which is becoming more efficient in the food supply chain and the processing. So that's the thing that I think is exciting about this time right now, as you said, the this particular time that we're in right now where there's so much awareness on all of these different things. And this is a way that people can really support and engage in all of those things through the food that they eat, through the farmers that they support and things like that. So I, again, I, I love that you're approaching it from kind of a multifaceted problem solving um, concept. I wanted to ask you from a business development side of things, because you're right, you identified a lot of uh, logistical challenges, um, some operational challenges, all these things that can be overwhelming, but you're you're tackling them. We I talk with a lot of different people on this podcast series who are in similar situations. And one of the things that I hear, and I wanted to just get some insight from you on, is finding the funding. I mean, these concepts that you talk about are 
no-brainers. I mean, anybody would say, wow, you're right. You're solving problems, and these are problems that need to be solved. Yeah. But what does it take to actually get something funded? Is that a challenge? And, and what have you been running yeah, into? Yeah, so that's, you know, first of all, the other thing about this business is that it is woman-founded and women-owned. Right. So, you know, there is there is a topic there we can talk about as well in terms of funding. Absolutely. Um, because I'm sure, as you know, that, that I think it's 7% of VC money goes to women-founded businesses. Um, right. So that's another layer of complexity, <laughs> like for sure. Another right. layer of complexity. Um, the one, the 1% you know, of the one percenters, you know, right, the one, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the 7% um, of the one percenters. And, you know, and, and people are starting to look at that sure. and address it, although, you know, still not anywhere near what it needs to be, particularly given how well uh, women owned businesses tend to do against, you know, a start women, women owned startups tend to do. Um, but, you know, first of all, you know, the first year and a half, you know, I was as when I was just starting this before my business partner joined me, you know, I was freelancing and, you know, just living really scrappily. Um, but I also think that, you know, working lean is a good idea, keeping things lean. And that's something I learned and, you know, as a, as a nonprofit leader, you know, while you're developing things, you want to keep everything really lean because you have to have a great idea and it has to work. So, you know, I had the incredible benefit of, of amazing mentors, um, you know, people who had really encouraged me to go into business and, and to, you know, to leave the nonprofit world and think about a social impact business. Um, which again, also social impact businesses 10 years ago, like who would have thought? So like, for me, this is a perfect time to apply, you know, my many years of gained expertise as a nonprofit leader to a business, you know, so it's not, you know, we're not looking for a 10 X return, you know, we're looking like it's, this is a triple bottom line business. But that can also make it more difficult to get funding. Isn't, I mean, is that a kind yeah. of, I guess. I mean, I, you know, we, we have a great network of people um, and, and there is, you know, there is slow money out there and there are social impact investors and, you know, like anything, whether it's, you know, you're, you're looking for funding for your nonprofit or you're looking for funding for your business. You want to be getting the money from people who understand truly what you are trying to do and who believe in you and believe in your idea. And so, you know, I definitely had conversations with VC investors and I knew the second, you know, after the second meeting, it was not going to, the match was not going to be right. You know, there's not an understanding really of how, you know, how food, how complex food is and how long food takes. And then, you know, the other people that I met, you know, some of them were people who I knew from my, um, my nonprofit work who also had an interest in food or expertise in food. And, you know, the, the business just made sense to them. And, you know, it's not like I walked in just with an idea, you know, I walked in with like a really clear spreadsheet and a supply chain and a product that I had already developed. And, um, you know, I had also an inc you know, incredible opportunity to work 
um, as part of a USDA grant in Maine. So we were able to develop products in a community kitchen there called Fork Food Lab. Uh, we worked out of there for about a year and with a small group of incredible farmers outside of Portland, Maine, who were, who were working on basically finding new revenue streams and, and trying to get more uh, made in Maine products into the Maine um, food system. So, you know, we weren't looking for a lot of money to start. We needed, you know, we needed enough to pay ourselves a, a minimum salary to, so that we could 100% focus on the business. And then, you know, my business partner, I mean, is also someone, she was my CFO at my previous job. Um, we have worked together now for eight years. So like, she knows my brain, like no one else. And, um, you know, can take sort of my ideas and put them into numbers and we go back and forth and figure out, you know, figure out all the parts. So I think that one of the reasons we got the funding we did from the people we got it from is that they saw how much we were able to do with very little. So, you know, and that's still true. Like we run a very lean ship. Um, and now, you know, we're part of a business accelerator um, in California called Food System 6. Um, and, you know, they're, they're helping us uh, get, do, get ready for our next raise, uh, which will be this fall. And we're feeling, you know, pretty excited about it. They, they've been incredible to work with. And, you know, it's all about, it's like your investors is like a, a certain kind of a marriage. You know, it just, they just have to be the right people. Um, but it is hard to find. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to tell you that like, it was just like, I made three phone calls and I got, you know, $5 million. Not at all. You know, it was like, even with the people I knew, it was, you know, probably five or six meetings and showing them business plans. And some people wanted way more detail and some people were kind of fine with like broad strokes. Um, you know, the, and, and we have a, you know, a range of investors or, you know, people who themselves have extremely successful food businesses. Um, and there are people who, you know, just, uh, really care about the environment and really care about people's health and believe that we have, you know, have a solution that, that is very viable, um, not only to, you know, to answer those questions, but, but to be a viable business proposition. Yeah. You know, I think the key that you mentioned that I think is a really important takeaway for anybody starting a business and you all, and obviously this came from, like you said, it came from your experience in the nonprofit world. It came from your, your clarity of vision and focus on the mission of your company was, uh, I loved it when you said, you know, there were VCs that you met with or investors that you met with and you knew on the first or second meeting that this was not a right fit. And I've got to imagine that's hard to walk away from potential money. Oh, was it? Horrific. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, because you're like, oh my God, this person could in literally one second write me a check for a million dollars. Yeah. And not that they offered it to me, like, you know, it wasn't like I, I didn't turn down a million dollars. Right. But I, you know, but I turned down the opportunity to continue that conversation and, and act as if my business were something that it's not. Right. You know, That's I, the I key. knew that, you know, it's not like this is not a 10x return. Right situation. It could be in a few years, right. you know, when we become a national company or national brand, which I believe we will. But right now, I also, we didn't want the pressure, you know, I, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like I love pressure, you know, give me pressure any day, but the right kind of pressure. Yeah. 
You know, I want I want an investor who says, you know, you should really think about targeting what, you know, a, a different, you know, kind of food service we had to talk about, like private hospitals or whatever, like that, that kind of pressure. Sure. Not, you know, I want to see, I want to see your, you know, sales triple in the next year when we, you know, we have a certain projection and there's just no way we could do that without, you know, without going into massive debt or creating a product that really wasn't going to work or, you know, just like, it's it, it's like building a house, you know, you want the footer to be really strong and to not be subject to frost heave. <laughs> so it's like you got to dig that footer deep enough and lay your cement, you know, in the correct way with the correct person, you know, in order to build a solid house. And we've just been ruthless about about sticking to that, you know, to the point of view of like really like you know, eating rice and beans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, and that that's such that that is really an important takeaway because I think what you did with Matriarch Foods and what other people are doing with companies that are, you know, solving problems and really, like you say, you're a social enterprise, a triple bottom line, really working for multiple causes and benefits. Uh, it is important that you stick with that mission and not sell out, so to speak. And and I know that because I hear that all the time about how difficult it is to get the funding. But as you're saying, the more clear you are, the more solid you are in what it is you're doing and tapping into those connections. I think, like you said, that where sometimes it's not, you know, the obvious ones, uh, but more aligned with like maybe somebody who's got food service background that uh, may not have been on the radar as a VC or something, but who do they know and start asking that network? And that's the, like you said, your years of network um, with the nonprofit before. So those are just some great tips. I think that anybody listening who might be interested in starting a company and, you know, this type of a company uh, can really take away and benefit from. So thank you for sharing that. I want to move to what's in the future. Like you said, you're working with the uh, um, with the accelerator and on the West Coast, you have some. You're looking at a larger raise. What's your vision for Matriarch Foods, kind of moving forward in uh, kind of growing and scaling, either regionally and or nationally? Yeah, I mean, it's you know there are a couple of there are a couple of answers to that question. Um, you know, in terms of the product that we have now, you know, we 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 want that. We, we want this vegetable broth concentrate to be the vegetable broth of choice of institutions because, you know, for all the right reasons, because it's made with real vegetables, because it's low sodium, because it's healthier than anything else that's on the market, and because it diverts waste from landfill. And it's easy to use, and it saves you time. And it's from a woman founded women owned business. So it's like, we check every box. That's fabulous. <laughs> you know? So, um, and, and I mean, uh, you know, this is a little bit of an aside, you know, but I, I'm going to use Campbell's as an example, but I actually, I'm really interested in Campbell's as a company because, um, you know, because they, they are, you know, one of the largest can soup companies in the world and we all have associations with Campbell soup from our childhood right and I want you know and because because many of their products really did start out 
being an answer to feeding people, right. you know? So, so, um, I want people to think of matriarch in the same way, you know, but just like in five or 10 years down the line, like I want that, I, I want our soups to be the, the soups that people are like, Oh, that I associate that soup with delicious health, you know, hominess. Um, but yeah, so we, we aspire to be a national brand, um, and also to influence other large scale producers of food to work in more sustainable ways. So, you know, and, and we are interested in those kinds of potential partnerships because there's so much, as I said before, you know, that exists in the food system already in terms of, of logistics and, and machinery and, and storage and, and, and distribution that, you know, if those companies thought differently about what they did, or, you know, worked with us, for example, the health of our nation would be transformed. So we have big aspirations about transforming the quality of food in the United States. So how has it been? You, you kind of went down a list, which I love that list. And item number four on that list was, you know, helping to reduce food waste, but you kind of checking the benefits of what it is you do and the product that the companies can buy, food service companies or whoever uses this can use. How has it been? I mean, you mentioned that one and a woman-owned business, um, you know, all the, the benefits that go beyond just healthy, nutritious, you know, low sodium. Um, how has it been gaining awareness and acceptance of that? In other words, that to me sounds like an education thing when you're trying to get a, a stock or a broth into a food service company. There's maybe several different ones they can choose from. Yeah. Why would they choose yours and how do you help educate them on that? I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's in part sales, obviously. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, something we're still, I mean, that's, you know, that's the work right now really is sort of scaling sales. But if a company is working you know, has sustainability goals, for example, mm -hmm. we can help answer those sustainability goals. Like if you're, you know, if you're a company and you're supposed to be reducing your food waste, if you use our product, every case of our product that you use, divert 10 pounds of vegetables from landfill. So you can apply that to your sustainability goals. If the goal of your company is to save time, you know, in the kitchen for whatever reason. And this is happening post COVID too, you know, is that there's, you know, kitchen, big kitchens are having to simplify their operations for all kinds of reasons, for health reasons, for staff reasons, et cetera. This is, you know, this is a bit essentially like a homemade broth concentrate that, you know, tastes like you, you know, tastes like you made it yourself, has no juices, no extracts, no additives in it. You open a box, you put it in a pot with some water and you've got your great stock. So it's a time saver and it's low sodium and, and healthy made with real vegetables. So, you know, we sort of position ourselves as like any challenge you may have in your kitchen around broth, our product solves it. That's great. And it's affordable. So yeah. it's priced, you know, it's priced against the salt licks that are on the market. Yeah, I love that. And so obviously this is going towards into the food service industry, but is it also available on a consumer level? If I wanted to buy that, do you, can I buy that from you? Well, good question. So as all food companies have had to pivot uh, to some extent during this pandemic, 
you know, we originally had thought to release a retail version of our product somewhere down the line because, you know, retail is, I mean, it's really, there's so much marketing in retail. It's very expensive to do. It's customer acquisition, which just makes my head explode thinking about it. Um, But because there's so many more people cooking at home and so many of we've had so many requests from people to sell this as a retail product, we are going to be releasing it um, in a retail carton uh, in the fall. So currently the vegetable broth concentrate comes in a 500 milliliter carton and that carton makes two to two and a half gallons of broth. Um, but we're going to be releasing it in a 200 milliliter carton, which will make, you know, anywhere from, you know, three quarts to a gallon, a gallon of the sort of, you know, basic kind of thin broth or, or half a gallon of like more of a ramen uh, type of broth. And that will be available online and potentially with a couple of other distributors that we're working with. Great. And uh, just to touch on something you you mentioned earlier, you do have a couple of other products in the works right now as well. I think you yeah. said a carrot and was there another one? Yeah, there's a, car- a carrot and a beet puree. And those those two, are, those are both um, both in development now. Great. And, you know, and we're looking at a fortified version of the broth. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of ideas out there. Yeah, well, that's that's wonderful. And as a consumer, obviously, I'm fascinated with it. And I think, you know, you're obviously attacking kind of a large scale solution to these big problems by going into the schools and going into the other food service industries with this. Um, I also will can imagine, like you said, that on a retail side or on a consumer side, there is going to be interest and not just because of the health benefits and the quality of it and the fresh vegetables, but also for all the other reasons that we've talked about. So I will definitely look forward to seeing that out in a retail version. Um, and I'm excited to try it. And uh, in full transparency, you sent us some. So thank you. I We have it. And ramen <laughs> happens to be one of my favorite things. And I saw that recipe on your website. So we're going to make some ramen with that tonight. So I'm excited about oh, that. <laughs> I will let you know how that goes. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. I wanted to kind of shift a little bit to something that obviously is in the mission of your company by virtue of what you do, but also taking it to yet another level, which is I noticed that your company has joined and is participating in 1% for the planet and that you have uh, selected a particular nonprofit, which is Glenwood Center for Regional Food and Farming. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think that's just such a neat partnership. How did that come to be? And tell me a little bit about Glenwood. Yeah, well, I mean, first, you know, we we became 1% uh, for the planet members um, a couple of months ago. And it's just something that, you know, Yvonne Schunard, I'm sure you all know about about 1% for the planet and what they do. But but I'm just so impressed with a big company um, starting an initiative like that. And so we, you know, we're too small of a company right now to become a B Corp, but we wanted to do something um, you know, really bold, uh, in terms of, you know, beyond our, you know, beyond the obvious mm-hmm. commitment of health and, and diverting waste from As landfill. If that wasn't enough, right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah, well, that's the, that's the nonprofit 
sure. leader in me. Um, but but you know, uh, uh, was recommended that we should look into into one percent, and we did, and had great conversation with them. And and you you know you choose a partner or a number of partner organizations to you know give a percent of your of your profits to. Um, and I have known about and worked with uh, the Glenwood uh, Center for Food and Farming for over a decade. Um, they're, they're almost neighbors. They're about 45 minutes North of me. Uh, and they, you know, it's an absolutely beautiful site. Um, and they do research, um, and, and, um, sort of systems, systems development, food systems development for the Hudson Valley, um, with an eye toward global impact. And most recently, uh, they're working on a program called Regional Food for Health, uh, which is uh, a co- coalition building of health, uh, health organizations uh, in the Hudson Valley um, th- to create and, and operationalize efforts uh, that, that support regional food for the benefit of all. And so... I called, you know, Kathleen Finley, who's, who's the executive director there. And she's, you know, we, we've been talking about matriarch, uh, for over a year and I've done, you know, done some demos and presentations up at the center, but said that, that I wanted to have a deeper relationship with them. And so, and so we agreed to, uh, they agreed, they, I offered and they agreed, uh, to be our, our partner, um, and, and beneficiary of our 1% for the planet membership. That's great. I, I was wa- looking at their website, which is, it looks like it's just glenwood.org, G-L-Y-N-W-O-O-D.org. Yes. And I saw a fantastic video on that. So we'll put some information about, obviously about Matriarch Foods, but also about Glenwood um, in the show notes for this particular podcast, where you'll be able to find some more and uh, see the video and learn more about what they do, what they're doing. And I'm, I'm just so impressed with that uh, organization as well, and eager to get out there and take a look at that. So, yeah, and- I, I really encourage I encourage your listeners to check them out and donate if you can. Um, sure. they're, they're doing amazing work, and and they're very um, very community orient- oriented. You know, they 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 really uh, they really focus on access. They're working on a farm to family uh, project. Um, they've planted a number of fields um, to create, you know, healthy food boxes for food insecure people, um, not only, you know, during during COVID, but but beyond. And um, their staff is amazing. And also the, the site is absolutely beautiful. Um, and this particular, you know, this particular uh, uh, project that they're working on, um, Regional Food for Health, is is going to, I, I believe, is going to make a really important impact, not only in the Hudson Valley, but but once you know, once some of the pilots launch, um, will serve as as great example um, for other people to follow. Yes. It looks that way, and um, I agree. I'll encourage people to go there and take a look at it, whether virtually on the website or in person if you're in that area, by all means, and I look forward to learning more about them as well. And what I'd like to do as we kind of wrap this up a little bit is I always like to see if there's – we've covered a lot of ground today, and 
you know, it's a lot to absorb, but I always like to give the listeners just kind of one little takeaway, just something that any of us can do, or just some little tidbit of awareness that you feel is maybe one of the most important things that any of us as consumers or listeners or, you know, just citizens of this universe, what can we do? What would you like us to take away from everything we've talked about today? You mean, what, what can every, what can, what can you do about, um, about food waste? Anything. Or what can you do what, about what, anything? What you, any, what, well, yeah, well, hey, <laughs> fair game. About anything? There you go. Um, you know, I think that being aware that everything you do, you know, whether it's, you know, using three paper towels instead of one or buying too much food, you know, four apples when you're only going to eat three, um, makes an impact. And, you know, I had, I had an incredible high school English teacher. Um, you know, when I took my, my senior year, I took an existentialism class and she, she made it, she, she kind of was able to explain this sort of philosophy in a really clear way with some examples. And I just remember her giving this one example, you know, if you pick a flower out of someone's garden when you're passing by just because it's pretty and you think it'd be nice on your table, even though it's not really yours. If everyone in the neighborhood did that, there would be no flowers left in that garden. And I really think about that all the time. You know, every tiny little action that I do has a much bigger effect, you know, when it's multiplied. So if I'm doing it, then I, and then what I'm saying is that everyone, it's okay for everyone, absolutely everyone to do that. And so if you think that way, you will waste a lot less food. <laughs> you will be much nicer to people and the world will just basically be a better place. So, you know, aside from that, I encourage you all to, uh, Buy matriarch foods, upcycled vegetable broth, talk to your college cafeterias, your hospitals, your food banks, your school chefs about buying our product um, because just that one act of talking about it, if someone buys it, you will have contributed to diverting food waste from landfill and, and getting healthier food into the mouths of more people. Um, but basically, you know, everyone can make a difference. And even the smallest thing makes a difference. Anna's wonderful words of wisdom. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. And and so, you know, and like you said, it's it can be as simple as using our voice to have an impact, even just spreading the word of Matriarch Foods and what you're doing. So it doesn't have to be hard. It can be very simple. And I love your story uh, from your English class. That's something that's very powerful for us to take away as well. I'm looking at a quote on your website, which I've got to just read because it just, again, it summarizes it all. We believe in a world where no food goes to waste, where all people have the right and the access to healthy food. Another one of your famous quotes. And thank you. Thank you for saying that. That's, that's it. I mean, what else can we say? That's, that's just such a powerful statement. Yeah. Well, li so, live like a matriarch. That's the only other thing I would say. <laughs> I love it. There you go. Live like a matriarch. So if people want to learn more about matriarch foods or get in touch with you, follow you on social, what are some of the ways we can connect? With yeah. You? I mean, go to our website, matriarchfoods.com and that's matriarch with a K like the boat. We're all going to get on to make the planet healthier. 
Uh, and you can contact us um, in the contact section there. You can find recipes. Uh, you can learn more about upcycling. And our email addresses are on the website. We welcome questions. We welcome conversations. I get emails every couple of days like, how do I use this product? And, um, or, you know, how can I help more with food waste? Or, you know, can I come intern with you or whatever? And we, we always answer. Fantastic. And I think they can find you on LinkedIn as well if people want to connect with you there. Yeah, LinkedIn, Facebook. Instagram. I'm on Twitter a little bit, but it's too close to the guy in the Oval Office these days. So I kind of stay away. From yeah, it. I think people are numb to it and tuning it out most of the time. So I think there's yep. plenty of other ways <laughs> to connect with you and to find you. And we will also put all of those uh, contact points in our show notes section on the website, too good to waste podcast.com. Anna, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. Uh, I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot. And I wish you all the best of success as you continue to expand Matriarch Foods, and we'll do all we can to help you take that to a wider audience as well. So thanks again. Have a wonderful day. All right. Thank you, Kevin. It's wonderful to talk with you. Well, as always, I learned a lot. I hope you did as well. I feel like we just got a major education in what it takes to be an entrepreneur and how to get a business launched. And not just any business, but a business that really benefits the communities and the environment and is just doing good all around. So it's not easy, but it is possible, as she told us. So by all means, keep looking for Matriarch Foods when they hit the retail shelves probably later on this year. Hey, and if you're enjoying these podcast episodes, by all means, let us know and let your friends know by sharing it. And you can also help us out by giving us five stars or a thumbs up, whatever works for you. We really appreciate that. You can follow us on Instagram at too good to waste underscore podcast. Special thanks going out to Sue Marshall for her help with creative development and to Amy Gilbert, our associate producer and resident upcycled food baker. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Net Zero. You can find them on the web at netzero.us and the Upcycled Food Association at upcycledfood.org. Too good to waste.